Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 563, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, Agent of Fog. For the love of Jiminy Christmas, get me out of this heat wave. Oh, it's just, just blah, blah, blah. I Honestly, we're we're in a great sitch because when I lived in the city for so many years, I never had proper AC. And you know, you just have like this choice of you can stand in front of the AC unit or you can be hot. And there's like no other options. At least now we have some central air, which is pretty nice. But um, the outdoors are the enemy. Yeah, we don't have central air because our house is very old and to do some sort of central air is a very difficult thing. Big money but, and big time. Yeah. This morning, Elizabeth was like, we may have to do it in a couple of years. I was like, yeah, we're going to have to do it because these you know, window units just don't cut it. It's just too hot and humid here in New York City. Ugh. We are not just talking about that, though. No, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we are excited about. And we got a lot to get excited about this week. Holy moly. There's a lot going on this week. Mm -hmm. This week, we are going to have on our guest, Preeti Chibber, talking about her new middle grade book, Spider-Man Social Dilemma, which is out now. Um, She's also... Just absolutely delightful. You can also hear Preeti on a variety of podcasts, one of which is Newcomers. If you haven't listened to it, it's two wonderful comedians watching all of the Marvel movies. <laughs> it's great. And she is a very funny guest on it. Love her the most. So we're very excited to have her on in just a little bit. Yeah, she, and this is like her second or third time on the show. So you longtime listeners have probably heard her before. We're going to get into so much more real soon. But first, Big releases, big things happening all across the world, especially on Disney Plus, because all episodes, all shorts of Marvel Studios' I Am Groot are now streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. They're adorable. They're so fun. You know what's coming out next week, though? Marvel Studios, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, the greatest show ever created. I have seen the program. (laughs) I am so excited about it. Episode one will be on Disney Plus Thursday, August 18th. And of course, be warned, it is critic season. Even if it's not on Disney Plus, there are people who have gotten to see advanced episodes of the series so there are some spoilers out there in the multiverse floating around on the internet so you've been warned but the show is so good i can't say anything just this show was created personally for me (laughs) and i appreciate it also there's some great new posters over on marvel.com if you want to go check those out and there have been a bunch of clips and things that are coming out here and there also so i'm sure go look at the marvel socials there are lots of fun little clips and looks and i can't wait it's for so everyone much to fun. watch it it's I know. so fun and I, i'm i'm really excited that it is a it is a long series for us you know it's on the longer end of the original series for marvel studios and it's great it's just like this means we're going to be enjoying it for quite a while it's so good so fun we know that there's a bunch of great characters. Tatiana Maslany as Jen Walters and She-Hulk is so freaking amazing and great. But I got to give super shout outs to Ginger Gonzaga as Nikki. She is like my MVP throughout the entire series. I love her so much. She's so funny. She's like the best friend everyone needs. No spoilers. Watch it exclusively on Disney Plus starting Thursday, August 18th. You're welcome. Yeah. Also a fun thing, Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder of course, has been in theaters, but now there are two new visual effects behind-the-scenes videos hosted by 
Emmy talking to Jake Morrison. One, you don't see me. I'm hidden off camera, but it's all about the goats and the goat boat. And it's so cute. You can watch it on the Marvel social medias about how they created the goats for the goat boat. There were no real goats is the fun fact, but they did take some live footage of goats. It's hilarious. Anyways, go watch that one. And there's also one about the big final battle that takes place at the, spoiler alert, Edge of Eternity. So go enjoy those. Check them out. They're really fun over on Marvel.com. And of course, you can see the film only in theaters now. So fun. But you got to do a behind the scenes video as well, Ryan. Yeah, I got to do some cool stuff for Marvel Studios, Ms. Marvel. I did uh, visual development behind the scenes. So I talked with Jackson C., Yana Skirmer, and Mushk Rizvi, who are all on the visual development team. And they're wonderful. They were a lot of fun. And it was really cool to talk to them about sort of developing the look for Ms. Marvel, for Kamala, for the show. You can watch that over on Marvel.com and our, our social channels and YouTube and stuff. And of course, watch all episodes of Marvel Studios' Ms. Marvel now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, do it. It's so good. It is. Also, shout out to the Ms. Marvel Instagram. They've been releasing a lot of just like little videos that they've taken from behind the scenes, mm. and they're super adorable and enjoyable. Also in the realm of Marvel Studios, World of EPI has a new collectible doll line inspired by Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever. They are these super detailed collectible dolls. We did some high fashion dolls a while back that were really cool, but they are all inspired by the film. And there are three different dolls, one for Shuri, one for Okoye, and one for Nakia. They're 11 and a half inches, articulatable, super duper detailed. They have the, you know, the soft, flexible hair. They're super duper cool and, and really realistic and awesome. Definitely go check those out. They're slated to hit retail in October. And of course, you can experience Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever in theaters on November 11th. As a dad of a child of color, having dolls of like every shade and every body type and every like every culture is so important. Mm -hmm. I, Catherine has one doll that has the exact same hair as her. And so she calls that doll Catherine and she like pretends to Aww. take that doll to camp and like do all these things. And she's like, there's just a different way that she connects with that doll than she does to any of her others. It's an amazing thing to watch. And she develops all this on her own. Man, kids are really cool, y'all. Anyway, let's keep it rolling because, of course, we've been talking about Spider-Man's 60th anniversary all year long. There was some cool stuff this past weekend at C2E2 with some Spider-Man panels. But, of course, we've got stuff happening through the rest of the year. Fans obviously celebrating with all the Spider-Man Beyond Amazing apparel, toys, collectibles, home goods. If you go over to the Styled by Marvel Instagram feed, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff. I am losing my mind looking at the Pyrex Spider-Man bowl. Yeah. Just because <laughs> we have all this great Pyrex stuff at home, but now you put Spider-Man on there? Give me more. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we've put up on the Styled by Marvel IG, but you know, stay tuned to that to see all the new releases as we are going through the rest of the year. Yeah. Oh, speaking of more Spider-Man being released... You know what is launching today, Friday, the 12th? What, Lorraine? Marvel Spider-Man Remastered for PC. And um, you know what What might be good for us to do right now? What's that? Well, why don't we call up uh, Laura Hathaway, Associate Manager of Product Development, and get the scoop here. Let me uh, dial up the twin phone. I've got her on auto dial. Here we go. Boop, 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 boop. Ring, 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 ring. Laura's phone. Ring, 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 ring. Well, hello. 
Oh, hi, Laura. It's Lorraine and Ryan over from This Week in Marvel, and we just wanted to check in with you about the release of Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered on PC. Well, that sounds amazing. I'd love to talk about that. Ooh. Laura, what is Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered, and how is it different from the original release? Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered for PC is just an opportunity for more people to get to play this incredible game. Obviously, people love it, but not everybody got to play it, weirdly enough. So we just had this opportunity to leverage the PC, which, you know, it's a different platform from the PS4 or the PS5 and just has different capabilities. So we're excited to see this incredible original Spider-Man story now on PC. Yeah. And so for some folks, you know, a lot of people played the first round of Marvel's Spider-Man. How is the remastered version different, especially for people who are now getting to, for the first time, encounter the remastered edition on PC? The remastered is just beautiful looking. It has a lot of really incredible capabilities. It has optimized graphics. It has the ultra wide monitor support, which basically makes you feel like you're right in the middle of uh, Marvel's New York with that huge city spanning all around you. Uh, It also has customizable controls, whether you're someone who likes to play on a keyboard or whether you want to plug in your DualShock controller um, and use that as well. There's ray tracing, there's increased frame rates, there's just huge display ratios for different, you know, size monitors. You just have the option to really customize based on what kind of PC you have um, and based on what kind of game player you want to be. Ray tracing is basically the wildest piece of cool (laughs) new graphical technology that we've experienced in the last couple of years. It's like you could see like live reflections, right? Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. So as you're flipping through the city and, you know, you get to actually see your reflection going through the buildings. If you, you know, do your hero pose on the asphalt, you can see yourself reflected in puddles, especially in some of the scenes in the game where it's raining. It's just such an incredible opportunity to really immerse yourself and really feel like you are Spider-Man in this incredible Marvel's New York environment. It's just a really, it's like witchcraft, it's magic, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's incredible. And the folks at Insomniac and Nixus who did the PC version are just, they're insane and amazing. And we're so lucky to be able to have them take this game and put it on this new platform. You know, you mentioned, you know, sort of like having that more immersive feeling screen experience. What way do you recommend fans try to experience this or how they use their setup to get the sort of best looking, most enjoyable version of the game for them when they start gaming at home? Well, it really depends. And I think that's the sort of exciting thing about this version, because when you're on a PlayStation 4 or a PlayStation 5, there are some customizable options for you, but ultimately you do what the PS4 or the PS5 kind of tells you to do. For the PC version, depending on what kind of computer you have, you can really boost your frame rates if you want to improve your graphic performance. You can change your level of image quality if you want to take those really incredible, you know, screenshots and share your digital photography. If you want to change your display ratio, depending on how big your monitor is, if you want to have three monitors all around you, you can do that. Plus the addition of the customizable peripherals. So the keyboard versus the DualSense controller. There's just a lot of really great options and it's, It's just such a cool opportunity to really make it as easy and as accessible to a lot of different people. And even if you have a computer that's not necessarily like the top of the line gaming computer, that's totally okay because this is meant to work on all types of different computers. Love that. 
Speaking of all types of different computers, I saw that Insomniac Studios tweeted that the game is Steam Deck verified, which rules. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, another opportunity for more people to play the game, either if you haven't played yet or even if you have played and you just want it on a different platform. Love it. So as folks are getting to re-experience the game on PC, what do you love so much about the game and what do you think it is that has made it such a phenomenon (laughs) that it is? I just think that Spider-Man, despite having the incredible powers that Spider-Man has, this character is sort of the ultimate underdog somehow. And because he's like us, you know, he is experiencing the same things we experience. He experiences hardship. He experiences loss. He has to pay his rent. He has to, you know, deal with relationships. You know, he is he's so accessible to so many people. And then with the expansion of the world that was created, we have the addition of Miles Morales, who is such an incredible character as well, who goes through his own journey that we get to see and experience. I just think the game hits on so many levels when it comes to story, when it comes to just how fun it is to swing through the city. It's just so satisfying and it's such a joy. And you can really, really tell that it was made by people who really love it. And I think that is such an important element to it because the people who you know created this game and helped bring it to life really care about this character, really care about this world, and really want all of us to experience this incredible story. Amen. Laura, thank you so much. Everybody go play Marvel's Spider-Man Remastered now on PC. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. Okay, bye. Click. Yeah. One more games update that we wanted to share. Marvel's Midnight Suns is now going to be releasing at a later date. They just want to give it more time to make it as amazing as they want the game to be and as we expect it to be. So stay tuned for more updates about Marvel's Midnight Suns in the coming months. And swinging back to Spidey for a minute, Spidey and his amazing friends, which I know Catherine Grace is a huge fan of, now has some season two shorts that are now playing on the Marvel HQ YouTube channel, including a new music video featuring Patrick Stump's new song, Spidey's Don't Give Up, It's a Bop, the kids love it, it's super fun. All of the shorts are so fun and so cute and very rewatchable with the kids. So definitely go check those out. You can subscribe to the Marvel HQ YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Marvel HQ. And there's a lot more Spidey and his amazing friends content over there. Lots of family friendly content. Go check it out. But those shorts are so cute. Yeah, I'm going to have to put those on for Catherine because we've been waiting for more new Spidey and his amazing friends stuff. So that's yeah, gonna... season two is on the way. Very exciting. All right, let's talk about Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine because it's the season finale. We've got episode 10 out this week. It is called All That You Leave Behind, and it's now available to subscribers to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and the SiriusXM app. In this episode, Sophia gets an unexpected visitor while Wolverine, Rachel, and Kitty descend on the White House for a final showdown with the Red Skull. We actually are going to have the voice behind Red Skull next week, Rachel Crowell, and that's going to be a super fun conversation, so stay tuned for that. We wanted to hold it until we get past all the episodes so we're not too spoilery, but for this episode, here is a clip. You see this look on my face? That means I'm coming for you. That's right. I'm coming for you, bub. Don't know if that's Shadow King or Skull or some permanent 
Frankenstein's Nazi. Mutants aren't gonna take this trash from you anymore, because they got me right now to stand up to bullies like you. And pretty soon my team's gonna be bigger than yours, and we're gonna get out of hiding in the dark and step into the mother-loving light. All right, you just heard Robert Patrick as Wolverine, and of course, episodes of Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine are available exclusively on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. They will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms in the U.S., and you can also unlock exclusive bonus content by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders. Yeah, I mean, this is the perfect time if you haven't started listening. Now you can listen to everything all at once, which is sometimes my favorite is just to save them all up and then drink them all down in like two days time. Also, we got some great comic stuff coming up. We've got Test Kitchen, the new Infinity comic, which launched on Marvel Unlimited. If you are not yet subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, you must immediately go to marvel.com slash unlimited and go sign up so that you can get access to these awesome comics that are in the vertical scrolling format that everyone knows and loves. They're so fun. And the story is written by chef slash writer Paul Eschbach and artist EJ Sue. And it includes a pork katsu torta recipe. Um, there are recipes in this series, which is really, really cool. If you make them, please email us at twimpodcast at marvel.com or you could tweet us, hashtag This Week in Marvel, and we want to see you make these delicious katsus. Mm, yum, 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 yum. Yeah, if you don't eat pork... It's okay. Even in the recipe in the comic where the character Anna is going through it, she goes through everything. She says, you know, you can replace the pork with tofu or with chicken and you can sort of like make it your own. So while it is a pork katsu torta recipe, you could do it however you like. I want to see it. Very, very cool. Also coming up, everyone knows my favorite holiday, Halloween. And with it, you can trick or read. On October 29th, you can visit a participating local comic shop to celebrate Halloween with a thrilling trip through the Marvel Universe in five trick or read titles. You might have done this before. It's back this year where fans have a chance to pick up copies of best-selling comics starring some of Marvel's hottest characters and storylines. And they're really great entry points for newcomers. So if you haven't been reading these stories, it's a perfect place to jump in. Also, four of these issues are going to have an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at Tiger Division, which is a new upcoming limited series featuring Marvel's fiercest new superhero team, which is going to be really, really cool. And there's a whole bunch of comics and They have something for big kids and little kids. Yeah, there's an amazing Spider-Man issue, Moon Girl and Double Dinosaur, Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, Strange Academy, and Spidey and his amazing friends. Think of it as a fall version of Free Comic Book Day in Mm -hmm. some ways. It's October 29th, so it's the last Saturday in October, two days before Halloween. It's very fun. You can find and support your local comic book shop at comicshoplocator.com or by visiting marvel.com slash love comic shops and yeah it's really cool i love these things i think it's great to go out there and check those out and a reminder while you're there buy something from your local yeah. comic shop don't just come in and take their free stuff I, I mean it's just nice to support make it a little treat for them too and then you get to walk away with cool comic books yeah always a good thing Speaking of good things, coming in November, we've got a new Deadpool series. I'm very excited, very happy to hear about this. And not only that it's a new Deadpool series, is that it is by an amazing creative team of Alyssa Wong writing it and Martin Cocolo 
drawing it. Martin is a newer artist on our scene, but has been tearing it up over the last year or so. And Alyssa has been on fire. They're so good doing so many great books like Dr. Afra and Iron Fist and more. So the, the little bit of flavor text about this is that Wade Wilson is obviously one of the top mercenaries slash assassins in the Marvel Universe, even though he's kind of also the most annoying one. So he wants to <laughs> be all of that stuff. Even more, he's auditioning for an elite group known as the Atelier, and now he has 48 hours to kill one of the world's most famous supervillains. The only problem, he's been kidnapped and something strange is growing inside him. Ew. Ew. Alyssa, what are you doing? It's, it's going to get real <laughs> gross, which is very fun. It's going to be, you know, big, weird, silly, over-the-top Deadpool big action. I'm very excited for this. Yeah. Sounds super duper fun. Also, another fun one coming down the pike. Thanos Death Note written by a bevy of writers, including J. Michael Straczynski, Torn Grunbeck, Kyle Starks, and Christopher Cantwell, as well as a bevy of artists alongside those writers, including Andrea DeVito, Ron Lim, Travel Foreman, and more. It's going to be on sale November 30th, and this is a special one-shot. It's a big oversized issue containing a bunch of stories about the Mad Titan's life and how he began his path towards his next conquest. Um, so this issue spins directly out of Donny Cates and Nick Klein's Thor run, where Thor recently beheld a terrifying future involving Thanos and vowed to use all of his powers to prevent it. And Thanos is missing. He's presumed dead after the chilling events of Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic's Eternals run. But Thor has seen a vision of his return. So it'll be exciting to see how that all comes together through this special one shot. And I mean, this is just like a bunch of powerhouse players doing this with a bunch of Thanos stories. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that I kind of love. It's both like rewards you if you've been reading Eternals, if you've been reading Thor. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't, you can come into this and just get a really awesome Thanos story by a bunch of amazing creators. All right. More great comic stuff coming in November. We just announced Planet Hulk Worldbreaker. It's a five issue limited series that takes place a thousand years into the future and presents a cool expansion and sort of culmination of the stories of Sakaar written by Greg Pak and artist Manuel Garcia. And Greg said, quote, we're exploring big emotional stories that pay off the huge themes of the Hulk and the green scar that I've built over many years through all my Hulk stories. So it's like a, a sequel to Greg's original Planet Hulk series, which if you've never read it, go Iconic. read it right now. It's so freaking good. Greg is a sweetheart. Greg is an amazing writer. I'm very excited for this. It's a cool way to do this type of story where we're like going back to something big and classic like we've been doing with like symbiote spider-man and, and new fantastic four and all these different stories but telling it in a new way and i think greg's gonna just absolutely crush it i love a greg pock hulk story period but if you're looking for something for your feet, there's a cool new collab hitting the streets. Foot Locker has joined forces with the Italian sportswear brand Diodora to release a new N9002 and Maverick sneaker collection themed and inspired by Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder, which of course you can see in theaters. Yeah, I've got a pair on the way. Uh, I'm very excited. Looking forward to that. They're great because they're they're subtle, but like they're when you see yeah, the yeah, they are subtle. They're subtle, but really cool when you see Stormbreaker or Mjolnir on there. I like them a lot. 
All right. One of my other shows that I do here for Marvel is Marvel's Pull List. You can subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. It is our official Marvel Comics podcast. And this week we have three big picks for you. The books that we we stand real hard for. First up is Axe Judgment Day number two. It's the big summer crossover event. It is big, huge, and friggin' awesome. The last issue of Captain Carter, Captain Carter number five by writer Jamie McKelvey, friend of ours, and Marika Krusta. It's real good. It's got vampires. Spoiler alert. And then the first issue of the Predator series, Marvel's first Predator comic. It's written by Ed Brisson with art by Kev Walker. It's really good. It's very like emotional story with lots of people getting hurt by predators and predators getting hurt by people. Spoiler. I got to watch the new Predator movie, Prey. That's on Hulu. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, well-timed. Yeah. It's, it's a big hit. Did you like it? I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet, but my hubs wants to watch it real bad. I friggin' loved it. Look, I am a am a long-term- I know. You're a Predator boy. Predator boy since I was way too young to be watching Predator. But yeah, I, you should not have been watching it, but also I was not censored as a child. Yeah. I watched all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> Prey rules. It's really good. This new Predator comic is a great companion to that. Not at all related- aside from it being a Predator story, but it's really good. And we also had a guest host for this episode, Amy Dallin, who she does some stuff for D&D Beyond and I think a pal of yours, Lorraine. Yeah, we're internet friends, but she's just awesome. Yeah. She, she's a cool gal. And also, I just tweet so much about D&D at some point. She was like, well, we have to be friends. And I was like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, so that was super fun. And she joined us for a reading club we'll have soon. But for this episode, we had a reading club with the amazing Carla Pacheco and Pera Perez, who they worked on Spider-Woman together. They did the story for Spider-Rex in Edge of Spider-Verse. So we talked to them about Marvel Team-Up, the first five issues of the series by Robert Kirkman and Scott Collins from the mid-2000s, but also a lot of talk about Spider-Rex. They are bananas. I'd never talked to Para before, but he's just like Carla in just over the top and funny as hell and super sweet and I adore them both. Yeah, delightful chaos. Delightful chaos. It's a lot of fun. Hope you all enjoy that episode of the show. Speaking of delightful chaos, <laughs> our interview this week, as we mentioned, is Preeti Chibber. And boy, oh boy, she is just so delightful. We're talking about the first book in her, what is going to be a three book middle grade novel series. And of course, Preeti is Spider-Man's number one fan. She's so funny and so delightful. I'm just going to read you a little bit of flavor text about the book so that you guys have an insight into it, even though we'll get into it a lot more in the interview. Peter Parker has been swinging and thwipping his way through New York as Spider-Man for just a few months and balancing his double life is complicated. On top of that, the notorious villain, the Sandman, is acting more strangely than ever. Social media seems to be taking a toll on MJ, and someone keeps trying to steal an artifact that's supposed to be powered by alien matter, which can't be good. Something eerie is going on, and Peter is determined to figure out what it is before things go from weird to dangerous. Man, this book is so fun. Had a blast talking to Preeti about it. Let's get into it. All right, this week we have such a treat for everyone. America's sweetheart, Spider-Man's best friend. <laughs> Dear human being, Preeti Chibber, author of Spider-Man's Social Dilemma. Hello. Hi. 
<laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. That's um, a good ass intro. Yeah, I'm gonna put that on my like. If I still had LinkedIn, that would be like an affirmation <laughs> or whatever. Wait, you don't have you. You just disavowed LinkedIn. Yes, I deleted it like five wow. years ago. I think. Wow. Okay, this is what where social dilemma comes in <laughs> to the equation. Obviously, we know you very well over the years. But what is your Marvel origin story? What was the first way that you encountered the Marvel characters, the universe, all that jazz? Through my older brother, for sure. And like his X-Men trading cards, I feel like. And Classic. the comics that he would pick up and I was not allowed to read, but would sneak and read anyways. <laughs> I like that. Oh, man, those X-Men trading cards are the best. I love them so much. They yeah. were so informative, but fun. Obviously, you know, we're here talking about your latest Spider-Man book, but this isn't the first one. Can you tell us about your other Marvel books you've written? <laughs> yes, 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 I can. The first one was for Spider-Man Far From Home called Peter and Ned's Ultimate Travel Journal, which was just like a really fun little illustrated look at what Peter, Ned, and MJ were doing in the midst of what was happening in the movie, but without me knowing the ending of the movie, so... <laughs> I remember being at the screening with you and you're telling me all the things like, just watch the movie. We're literally sitting down to watch the movie. I feel like I hit you in the arm really hard you did. during the post credit. Yep. A hundred percent. And then I have a series called Avengers Assembly. The first book is called Orientation and it's Ms. Marvel, Squirrel Girl, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, going to like an after-school Avengers program, which is really fun and silly. And that one is kind of, it's also illustrated. They're like really fun, silly little books to pick up and enjoy your favorite characters. Well, we certainly love your books. I've loved the first two. They're so funny and sweet and just enjoyable. But this book feels like a little bit more grown up than the last couple of books. How did you come to write Spider-Man's Social Dilemma? Yeah, so this is, it is older. Avengers Assembly and Peter and Ned's are definitely for kind of like a 8 to 10 sort of age level. And this one's just a little bit older. Peter's 16 in it, like 10 to 14, not illustrated. And the way it came about was my editor at the time at Disney, Emily Julin, emailed me and was like, would you want to write an original Spider-Man story? And I, like, my brain broke. <laughs> I was like, me? This email was for me? And she's like, yes. And I thought about what I would want to do. And it took a few back and forth and figuring out what the right sort of tone was. But it started with me being like, I want to write like a cute rom-com for Peter and MJ. Like, that's what I want to do. At my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of Peter's life, which is when he's like, just a few months after becoming Spider-Man and maybe not that great at it and still figuring out how he fits into his his own superhero story. And yeah, so that's kind of where that started. And I got that email in March 2019 was the first point. It was really hard keeping a secret. I had to keep it a secret for so long. What's the order of events for your other books? Like, because this is March 2019. So it was November 2018 when I got approached about doing a Far From Home tie-in. And I, I wrote that book very quickly. Like, I think I turned it in at the end of December 2018. And they were just really happy with it and were like, she could do this, I guess, after I was like, I can do this. And you did. 
So <laughs> kudos and congrats. Well done. I have to say, let's start. I want to start with, you know, like the very, very beginning of the book. There's a really sweet dedication in the beginning that says to my family and to everyone who listened to me talk about Spider-Man for the last decade. I appreciate you, um, <laughs> which is like the most preethy <laughs> dedication ever. Can you give a little context <laughs> to that? <laughs> I think I was thinking about this and I think it was like seven years ago that I just tweeted at Disney and Marvel and was like, hey, let me write a Peter Parker YA novel. And so it was something that was on my mind and I brought it up all the time in a very like, hey, I should be able to write this. Someone hire me. And I just really loved Spidey. And I like, I mean, I grew up with him, but I got really back into comics, I think, in like 2010, 2011, I got approached to co-host a comics podcast with my friend Paul Montgomery called Oh Comics. And it was right around the time Marvel Unlimited launched, I think, mm-hmm. like not too far off. And so I got a subscription and I read all of Ultimate Spider-Man in like two weeks. And I was that person who was like, can we talk about this comic that's been out for a decade? I need to talk about it constantly. And so it was a lot of that of like, rediscovering old favorites but wanting to talk about things that have been out for years in addition to like the new stuff obviously but just constantly being like did you read this issue did you see what happened can we talk about this and my friends being like oh my god (laughs) stop pushing your hyper fixations on us (laughs) uh you mentioned growing up with spider-man and then you know diving into ultimate spider-man and other stuff Is there a Spider-Man story that really resonates with you that you think about or maybe like the first one that really like clicked with you? I think for me, because I was so little, like I said, I was reading all my brother's comics when I was when I was a kid. I was so little. It was kind of just the general sense of Peter Parker and kind of how how much he messed up and how much he still tried to be better and still tried to be good. And he was funny and young. And that's sort of what spoke to me as a kid. And the Spider-Man cartoons that would play on like Saturday morning cartoons, it was a lot of that. It wasn't until I got a little bit older and felt comfortable accessing comics in a way that was difficult for me to do when I was younger. Like my town, I don't think even had a comic book store when I was very little. It was like whatever you could get at the drugstore and whatever they had on like the one little spinny, basically. So it was more often like Archie comics and things like that that were like Mm -hmm. in the grocery store aisle. But once I got a little bit older and was able to access those comics, it was actually the era of Peter when he's like early 20s and like really trying to get his life together is the one that speaks to me most of like still having to be a superhero but not being able to pay your rent, right? Like... I think I extremely relatable right? New York experience. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like rediscovering comics, like right when I moved to New York as like a twenty-three-year-old, I was like, oh, this is me. Oh no. <laughs> I also I love that era of comics too. Also, peak MJ period. Yes. Also, my favorite of the Mary Jane era, which I think like shines so well in your book. I love MJ in this book, but. Let me not talk about it. Let you talk about it. What's the story of the book? What's the plot? (laughs) So it's the first book in a trilogy. And like I said, this takes place. Peter's been Spidey for like just a few months. It's very, very early. And it's sort of twofold. There is this like greater threat building slowly over the course of the book that I don't want to spend too much time on because it's spoilery, et cetera. But Sandman is kind of the main villain for this first book. And so you've got these three different perspectives that I was very 
thoughtful where I was like, I want to not just write Peter, but we're going to see Mary Jane's perspective and we're going to see Sandman's perspective and kind of how these three stories braid together into this big culmination at the end. There's like something creepy going on. So Peter's got his like school stuff going on and he can tell there's something going on, but he can't quite hit on it. So he's trying to follow this mystery. There was like a robbery at the Museum of the Moving Image that he happened upon that is a piece of something bigger. Then Sandman's like got someone whispering in his ear on how to like be a better bad guy essentially. And then meanwhile, Mary Jane's going through her own stuff because I was like, you need your own story that will tie into Peter's, but it is your story. And she's having this like weirdness happening with her moods and she knows it's some from like something external. And so there's that mystery happening too. And it was really fun to plot because I was like, man, I got to make sure all this stuff adds up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you talked a little bit about the, the romance and, and wanted to write a rom-com, but like, Specifically, what did you want to explore with Peter and MJ? And what Peter and MJ do you look to? What era of their relationship? Is it like the ultimate Spider-Man, that kind of stuff? Is it when they were married? Is it pre-married? I do like when they're married. I like when they sort of, I like in the comics, and I'm going to forget which issue it is, but when you find out that MJ has known all along that Peter was Spider-Man is like one of my favorite things where she's like, I know, like, duh, how could I not know this? So one of the things I wanted to bring and was influenced by, I think, is that idea of like equality between the two of them. And that's been something I really enjoyed about Peter and Mary Jane's relationship in the comics is when we get to see both of them being kind of heroes in their own right in different ways, which I thought the like Spider-Man PS4 game just chef's kiss, like such Mm -hmm. a wonderful experience seeing an MJ story play out like that. And so, yeah, that's sort of the era I like to hit on it. And it happens in all the phases of their relationship, right? Like when they're dating, when they're married, even when they're friends after their marriage disappears, like all of it. And I really, really enjoy that piece. And that's what I wanted to bring down to these like younger versions of them. Something I got very tickled about when I was getting into some of the moments where they're kind of having like little flirtation moments and like you can feel the romantic tension, but it's like 16 year old (laughs) romantic tension, which it's like there's some part of me that still has like a 16 year old girl inside of me who's like, like, but, you know, I know you and I have talked before how embarrassing it can be to write romantic scenes between (laughs) characters. And I think. I mean, I personally think writing a romantic scene between characters is way more embarrassing than like acting in one or any other medium of it because I think it feels really exposed. (laughs) What do you think? What makes it feel vulnerable to you? You know, writing both of their perspectives on how their relationship was building actually helped a little bit because it reminds you that no matter how awkward you feel, like the other person is feeling just as awkward, (laughs) which helps because I think part of what's so vulnerable about writing romantic scenes is it's so much of you on the page. Like it's your words, it's your head, it's your characters. And so it actually helped a little bit having this not just be in Peter's perspective because I was like, oh, right, everyone, every single person on the planet feels awkward about this. And there's like a there's like a really nice sense of community and like camaraderie around that. And and part of what speaks to like what's so great about Peter as a character is that same accessibility. But now we get to see it from Mary Jane too, because as cute and fun and popular as she might be, like no one is, everyone goes through it. 
And so that was, it was like difficult because I like, there are scenes where I was like, oh yeah, I remember somebody saying that to me or I remember being that awkward. But I'm like, but the other person was probably also feeling awkward. Like, that's great. <laughs> oh, crushes are the best. Mm -hmm. You mentioned we'll see Sandman in this and you don't want to give away too much, but can you tell us any other Marvel characters we'll see in the book? Well, we'll see Mr. J. Jonah Jameson, that's for sure. That was really fun to write. Now, when you write J. Jonah Jameson, are you acting it out? Are you yelling it out? Like, you're a menace. There is sometimes for you. <laughs> and not with J. Jonah Jameson, but can I tell you the fight scenes were the ones where I had to, like, sit at my desk and, like, pretend to punch myself or pretend to, like, <laughs> choke where I was just like, what would this, like, how do I describe this action? Because this is writing comic book fight scenes in prose turns out super difficult. There are like <laughs> only so many ways you can say Spider-Man shoots a web in words. <laughs> <laughs> That's Spidey Thethorith. Yeah. Thethorith. Thwipsaurus. 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 There it is. <laughs> now, um, now you mentioned, of course, this is prose. But if a young human asked you for recommendations for comics to read in the Spider-Verse or beyond, are there any that you would suggest that have touched your heart <laughs> as you've been writing these books? I always say Spidey. The Spidey series that came out in like 2014, I think, mm -hmm. the Robbie Thompson. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's one of my favorite and absolutely like something I was thinking about in terms of tone and voice when I was writing this book because I think he just hits on it so well of bringing Peter Parker up to like a current era, not needing to have read 800,000 issues of backstories and just letting you drop into a new story with heroes you might have seen in the movies or heroes you might have seen in like TV or whatever it is. Like I love that series and I recommend it to everybody who is like, what should I get my kid who loves Spider-Man? Like Spidey, volume one. 2014, yeah. there you go. It's like you love the movie, you love the comic, you like the character. It's kind of like all mushed into one. Mm -hmm. in that so good. I'm so glad you said that. It's so good. It's one of my favorites. I, I think too. about that panel where he meets Captain America and he's like such a dork about it. <laughs> and it's so cute and funny. Robbie is such a great writer of writing those like awkward, very authentic interactions mm -hmm. with characters. Ugh. Thinking about, you know, readers, young and old even, what do you want them to take away from this book as they eagerly await the other parts of the trilogy? I think for me, it was really important to get across two things. One is failure is okay. Like you come out of failure, you're going to make the wrong decision, you're going to mess up. And either you apologize if you did something to hurt someone else and you try to make it better or you like move on from where you made the bad choice and still continue to try to be better, right? Like, there are moments in the book where MJ has this thing happening to her and she's like really mean to people around her and has to contend with that. And then the the other thing is like just always trying to do good and, and trying to make the world around you a better place by being a kind person. I love that so much. And as a person who did not grow up with a ton of internet, you know, the internet kind of came when I was in like, middle school into high school. I loved sort of the integration of technology and the social media world being a part of these kids' lives. And I thought it was really interesting because it kind of is an interesting take on, like social media does have a lot of power over kids' lives these days and a lot of adults mm -hmm. too, like let's be honest. How much was that in your head as you were working on this and writing this? I was constantly, I feel like one of the most 
One of the things I'm most passionate about is media literacy and having a clear way to tell people how to engage with all of the information like we are constantly bombarded with and not just take everything you read at face value or, or consider where the message is coming from. So that was something I was thinking about all the time. Like we see it with the older generation. We see it with our generation and with the younger generation of how you have to like, I know I've done it where you'll like retweet something because it sounds good. And then like a day later, they're like, this was completely false. <laughs> like there was like a viral tweet about some horse lying down. And it was like, this is a horse that like doesn't get up if she, she pretends to be asleep or something. I saw that. Not true. That horse was a stock image. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's nothing true on the internet. <laughs> But it was just like something I wanted to put in there because I think it is something that's worth discussing and thinking about. And because this book is for young readers, what's nice is teachers and librarians can use it in the classroom for discussion topics. And so one of them is how do we look at things on the internet and read through things and try to be better about what we believe? I love it. Do you talk to any educators or librarians about this kind of stuff when you're thinking about this kind of content in the book? Yeah, I mean, this is something that's been in my head for a long time. And it's I used to work in school and library marketing for a publisher. And so I would go to librarian conferences and get to see these educators and librarians have these conversations like five, six, seven years ago, like when we should have been having them, you know, like mainstream for for a long time. This conversation has been bubbling up in educator spaces for years. And so yeah, it's definitely something I was thinking about and reading a lot about while I was writing. You just said that and I was immediately transported to like AIM instant messenger <laughs> and like setting my cool away yep. <laughs> message. Oh, how far we've come. Mm. Um, really and truly. Um, but I, I think conversations like this are so important and for people to be able to have these conversations with their kids, mm -hmm. with their students and have that context I think is so important. And this is just the beginning. As you said, this is the first book in a trilogy, which means that you are still busily typing away, I'm sure. Can you hint us anything for what's to come in the following book or books? Yeah, I gave a pretty big hint a few months ago when I sent on a newsletter, which was approved, so I think I can do it here, which is that in book two, Peter gets into a spot of trouble. Oh, <laughs> 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> exactly. It's Cruella de Vil is the bad guy in the second book. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Preeti, always a pleasure to have you on the show and chat a little bit about all things Spidey and Marvel and silliness. So thank you. And everybody go get Spider-Man's Social Dilemma wherever you get your books. Do it. Thanks. All right, go pick up Spider-Man's Social Dilemma wherever you get your books right now. I had such a blast reading it. And I love a Peter MJ romance. I love a YA. It's really fun. It's super duper fun. All right, let's move things along. Of course, we mentioned a little bit earlier, next week we're going to have on Rachel Crowell, the voice of Red Skull in Marvel's Wastelanders Wolverine. So with that in mind, our question of the week for next week, thinking about Wolverine and how he has to go up against Red Skull in Marvel's Wastelanders. Our question for you all is, which villain would you like to see Wolverine fight? Who should he go up against? Who do you want to see Wolverine pop the claws and take down? Um, I'd like to see him fight his own sort of emotional distress. Like, I'd like to have him 
heal his inner child and like battle his id. Wow. That's deep. Is that the right answer? Did I get it? You got it. Congratulations, Lori. You win. Thank you. Good luck, everyone else. Yeah. I was thinking going in a different direction, like maybe see Wolverine versus Carnage. You know, big slicey boys against each other. And, you know, Wolverine keeps healing Carnage. It would just be such a brutal, brutal fight. I think somebody could have a lot of fun putting that together. Well, you know, going on that theory, like a strife fight would be good because his whole body is knives. <laughs> He's like just covered in <laughs> knives. Well, so be like, skink, 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 I wouldn't. I don't skink, know. Skink. I don't know what strife's armor is made of. I don't think it's adamantium. So Wolverine would no. He'd probably get diced. Slice that up. But strife is super, incredibly powerful with his telekinesis because he doesn't have the techno organic virus holding him back. So and he comes yeah. from the future. So he has a lot of weapons and he has a, a bunch of his boys that he can call in for backup. I like that. Strife versus Wolverine. Give it to me. Yeah. 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 All right, you can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week at Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. And of course, please make sure to tell us if it is okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show like we're going to do right now. Spoiler alert. Yeah. All right. So our question of the week last week was, what is your all-time favorite Spider-Man story? First up is Alex Hodgson at Alex J. Hodgson, who says, So many to choose from, but if you pushed me, I'd have to say Superior Spider-Man. It was just a masterpiece. You're not wrong. Mm -hmm. Next up, Muniz at Muniz says, It has to be Superior Spider-Man. That storyline was completely ridiculous, but it worked so well. Otto coming to terms with how hard it was to juggle life as a hero, etc. The repercussions after its conclusion were great fun to read you're not wrong this whole storyline mm. it is bananas but great all right javi at javi true tweets fearful symmetry aka craven's last hunt floored me as a 10 year old not only was a story crossing across three different titles radical back then but the storytelling and art felt far more sophisticated to what i was used to exciting and terrifying of course javi is talking about that landmark story craven's last hunt which is from the mid 80s written by jm Demetrius and art by mike sec and it is it's a very dark story if you've never oh, yeah. read it please go check it out we've reprinted it a billion times it's available on marvel unlimited it is one of those seminal spidey stories without question absolutely and along the same lines, Matt Maybray at Matt Maybray said, Craven's Last Hunt. I find more and more to like about it as time goes on. Agreed. Rye at Ryan underscore reflect says, Spider-Man Blue is a great story that highlights Peter Parker navigating love while dealing with a lot of different classic villains. It really is the blue period of Peter's life. Also, it's an emotional roller coaster. It's a heartbreaker. Oh, so good. So, so good. Wow, this next answer is great. Mark Lestrange at Mark Lestrange 1 said, That time Spider-Man taught the Beyonder to poop in Secret Wars 2. Now, Secret Wars 2 mm-hmm. is a banana storyline. Wild. I do not remember this element of it. There's a lot of elements. But I believe that it happened because it's a fun, weird, weird story. And the Beyonder is such a weird character in a great way. Yeah, it's something. Andrew Nickerson at Andrew Nickers 19 says, It's an old what-if comic scenario. 
what if J. Jonah Jameson adopted Spider-Man? Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. Mm. It's a deep cut, Andrew. I like that. Yeah. Trey at Trey2XSS said, when the Spider-Man begged Doctor Strange to open the multiverse so he could make everyone forget that he is Spider-Man, then versions of different Spider-Mans from other multiverses teamed up to fight each other. I do believe you are talking about Spider-Man. No way home. Yeah. Love it. It counts. Indeed, a great Spider-Man story. Yes. Eric Ginn at Eric C. Ginn says, My all-time favorite Spider-Man story is Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation 4. Ooh, that's cool. a great story. Lots of big moments. And because it's a video game and you get many hours to experience it. And I think that's a great pick, Eric. And of course, reminder once again, Marvel Spider-Man Remastered is now on PC. So go play it. Go play it. Go play it. Yeah. All right, next up, we got a little email here from Jim B, who said, Too many to narrow down, but I think my top would be Craven's Last Hunt. Great story, and it crossed over into all three Spidey books at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got an email from Bilal Alayan, which says, It's nearly impossible to name just one favorite story of The Wall Crawler. However, I do have two stories that play with my emotions like a roller coaster. The first is the Back in Black story by J. Michael Straczynski and Ron Garney. I was almost convinced Peter was going to do something that I wouldn't ever think he would do intentionally. When he confronts the kingpin in his Spidey suit and says he is not going to kill him, but then removes his mask and says, I am. I got goosebumps. I've never seen a more vengeful Peter. No quips, no jokes. He humbled the kingpin in a way I didn't think was possible. And then the second tale is Amazing Spider-Man number 248. More specifically, the second part of the issue, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. The story is only 11 pages long, but in my opinion, you will not find a better story of who Spider-Man is and what he represents. I will always get watery-eyed reading this, and it's even more heartbreaking when you read it a second time. Thanks for letting me share a couple of my favorite Spider-Man stories. I gotta go. I think I got something in my eye. Oh, that story is a gut punch in a great way. It's a really great story, but man, it is, it hurt my feelings. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Keith, who sent us a message on Facebook, who said, my all-time fave Spider-Man story was so hard to pick. I mean, there are a ton of great Spidey stories to pick from, but my personal all-time favorite has to be Back in Black. One of the main reasons that I am a huge Spider-Man fan is because his usual happy-go-lucky attitude and how he relates so much to the common man despite being a superhero. But in this story, during the events of Civil War and Peter Parker reveals his secret identity as Spider-Man, it didn't take long for one of Peter's biggest fears to come true and his loved ones to be caught in the middle of it all. As a result, Aunt May being shot and in critical condition pushes Peter past his limit and tosses aside his happy-go-lucky attitude for a moment and don his black costume again in the end breaking into prison to beat kingpin near to death in front of all of the prisoners was something totally unexpected of peter but despite that i think it showed and proved even more that even spider-man can be pushed past his limits just like every other human being Hmm. a lot of love for back in black which is really cool Mm mm-hmm I haven't read that story since it came out, so maybe it's something I've got to go back and, and check out again. That is it for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Burton. Hi, Brad. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 
Nigel, and special thanks to Strives Knives. Strives Knives! He's a spiky boy who's here to bring you joy. Strives Knives, get yours today. All right, we gotta go. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Wolverine, better with an Australian accent or? Good day, mate. I'm the old knucklehead. It's me. Good day. Er, nur. Er, nur.